how many of you can do that uh, opening bumper video by heart now? <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship Bible Church. And if you're watching online, glad you're doing that as well. And down in uh, F3, glad you could join us down there as well. By the way, uh, our worship leader, Mike Lukens, um, who has been uh, on our team here for 30, coming up 31, year, 31 years, um, is taking a sabbatical starting tomorrow. So we won't see him for the next three months. He is coming back. But uh, Mike was our first hire after I came 31 years ago. Uh, and he did a fantastic job with youth because he was only 10 years old at the time. And, um, but uh, so he and Lori are going to be uh, traveling a lot and gone, and we're glad for them. Um, but he is coming back. Unlike some other guys, if you've been around this church for the last maybe a few years, if you're fairly new here, um, the name of like John Morrison means nothing to you, but John Morrison was on our staff for almost 30 years, and he and Diane retired down to Texas uh, just about a year ago, uh, so our team has changed. Uh, Charlie Spencer was our children's pastor, and a year ago he retired down to Texas, and the only draw to Texas is that's where their kids and grandkids are. Uh, that's got to be the only draw. Um, and then before that, uh, of course, Don Den Hartog. Don was our pastor of biblical education here. And he and Patty moved uh, back to the Midwest. And uh, let's see, Dennis McNutt. Dennis was our youth pastor here. I mean, it was like rats jumping off a sinking ship. I don't know that... Dennis was our youth pastor, and we sent him down to Woodstock. He and his family moved down there to pastor our church plant that's down there, and that's doing, doing great. Technically, Dennis is still on our staff, but um, that's, that's doing, um, doing really well. Uh, so, I mean, there's been changes here. Uh, it's been uh, interesting to see this, uh, this last year how God has provided. And then we've added new people to our staff, and it ex expanded. So our, our, our team... Um, has changed, uh, but God is using that in, in, a, in a very great way. Teams are very important here at Fellowship Bible Church, doing things in teams. So uh, did I put a picture of Mike and Lori up? There's Mike and Lori. Oh, yeah, see their grandma and grandpa? They just found out they're going to be grandparents. Oh, that's... Yeah. But we do things in teams here because... Um, it's just better to do things together in teams. So whether it's a women's ministry team or men's ministry teams or, uh, of course, children's teams and uh, youth teams. And um, uh, I've had the privilege of uh, working with uh, the elder team for the 33 years I've been here. Totally different group of men today than what it was 33 years ago. Uh, those men are, that I was, uh, had the privilege to work with 33 years ago are either in heaven or they've moved away or God has changed. And, um, but that idea of, of a team is very important. Deacons, uh, uh, it, it is just, serving the Lord is fun. And serving the Lord in a team is, if I can I say it, is even funner. Um, it's just great to do things together in a, in a team. And that was true in the early church. Uh, the early church did stuff in, in a team, and we just finished the, studying the, uh, chapter 15 of the book of Acts. We're studying through the book of Acts, and in chapter 15, uh, a team came together of the apostles and the elders to handle a very, very thorny issue, and it was, you know, how does one get to heaven? And they had to come together and wrestle with that because there were people who were coming in and saying, if you want to get to heaven, you've got to follow the Old Testament law. I mean, the early church, as we've seen in our study of the book of Acts, was um, started by a group of Christ followers who were Jewish. They were all Jews. And so they were steeped in Old Testament mosaic traditions. And the thought that a Gentile could get to heaven by simply believing in Jesus and not coming under the Old Testament and the old Judaistic law, that was like unheard of. And so the team came together, Peter and Barnabas and Paul and the elders of the church and, and uh, the apostles, the, the, the disciples of Jesus, they got together in Jerusalem and they hammered this out. Teams are valuable. But sometimes there can be conflicts in the team as well, as we'll see in our passage today. So take your Bibles 
We're going to wrap up the last part of chapter 15, and then we'll go on to chapter 16. But verse 36 of um, Acts 15. Verse 36 of Acts chapter 15. This is what it says. And it says, And after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them. But verse 38 says, But Paul was insisting that they should not take him along, who had deserted them in Pamphylia, and had not gone on with them in the work. And it says in verse 39, And there arose, or there occurred, such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him, and they sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. And verse 41 adds, And they were traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Now, I appreciate the author here, Luke, who's writing um, this piece of historical literature, the, the Acts of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wrote his Gospel of Luke, Volume 1, and then he wrote his second volume, which is all that Jesus continued to do in what was called the early church. And I appreciate how he writes because he, he just gives us the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, it's, it's all in there. And this is not so much the good. It kind of gets a little ugly here, it seems like, because Paul and Barnabas, this team that had worked together in the first missionary journey, who had traveled all over sharing the good news of Jesus, then came back to Jerusalem as a team to uh, uphold the veracity of the gospel together with the, the apostles there in Jerusalem, uh, they have a sharp disagreement. It's a very strong concept, very strong term. Um, it started out well. Verse 36 says, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, hey, let's go back to the churches that we started on our first journey and let's, let's see how they're doing. Great. It all sounds good. But when Barnabas said, let's take John Mark, and John Mark was Barnabas's cousin, according to Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. So there was a familial relationship there. Let's take Mark with us. And Paul said, there is absolutely no way we're going to take Mark with us. You see, back on that first missionary journey, they had taken Mark with them. And according to Acts chapter 13, verse 13, somewhere in that journey, it says that Pamphylia, Mark bolted. He deserted them. Uh, the word that is used there is apostana. It's where we get our word apostasy. It's a form of that. Um, this was a, a major, major breach of trust. And we don't know the reasons, but this young guy, this cousin of Barnabas, he just bolted. He just took off. He deserted them. He apostatized, so to speak. Uh, did he get cold feet? Was he fearful? Was there some doctrinal issue that we, we don't know but it's stuck in the craw of the apostle paul and when they're going to start their second missionary journey go back and visit the churches that they had started on their first missionary journey and barnabas said hey let's take mark with us no way that's i, I paul said i draw the line there there's no way that this young guy who out and out rebelled on our first journey there's no way he's coming along with us no way um, sharp disagreement. Um, they locked horns. So much so that that team split up. How sad. Barnabas takes Mark and he goes his way to Cyprus, which was his hometown, home area. And Paul picked Silas. Silas had been one of the people sent by the Jerusalem church to go back up to Antioch uh, with Paul and Barnabas. And he was a, a man of great reputation a leader of the church in Jerusalem. He was a Roman citizen. He, he had all the credentials, and Paul grabbed Silas, and they took off to do what Paul had originally intended, go visit the churches and continue the work of spreading the gospel uh, in that Gentile world. So who was right? Who was wrong? Scholars have been debate, debated this for centuries. What would you do? If, if, by the way, if you're in a small group that uh, does, and many of you do, sermon discussions, uh, 
um, ap applications of sermons in your small group. This will be a fun one to talk about. Who was right? Was it Barnabas? We know Barnabas, um, back in chapter 4, Barnabas uh, was called the son of encouragement. That, that's just who Barnabas was. He was a guy who encouraged people. He, he cared for people. He was always seeing how he can help others out. In chapter, I think it's chapter 11, 9, 10, 11 in there, when Apostle Paul, or he was first called Saul, who was a persecutor of the church, when Saul becomes a Christ follower, no one believed him because he had been putting Christians in prison or putting Christians to death. And now the rumors are that he is a Christ follower. Well, who's going to believe him? Well, not many people because, you know, this could have been a ruse of some sort. I mean, he, he, could, be, he could be a fake. But it was Barnabas who stood up and said, I believe in the guy. I trust him. And he introduced him to the other believers and the, and the churches. He came and he said, he put his armor on him and says, I trust this man. And he was an encourager. He's the son of encouragement. That, is, uh, that was Barnabas. In fact, in chapter 11 of Acts, we read this about him. They sent Barnabas off to Antioch. And then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all. That's typical Barnabas with a resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I mean, that was Barnabas. He was a good man. He was a humble man. He was full of the Holy Spirit. Barnabas was the kind of guy you would always want to have as a friend. It doesn't surprise me that he'd have this attitude of, come on, Paul, everybody deserves a second chance. I know what Mark did was wrong. It was horrible what he did. He, he deserted us. He apostatized, as it were. I mean, he, he just took off. But that doesn't mean that God's done with him. Barnabas was the encourager, and he wanted to support Mark and take Mark with him. Paul, on the other hand, I mean, he had a pretty good argument. We're, we're going, this is an important ministry, <clears throat> We're going to encourage churches. We're going to go start new ones. And the last thing we need to do is babysit young Mark and have him bail on us again. Um, I'm not going to do that. He's not ready for it. Um, it it's just it's not going to happen. It's not worth the risk. The task was more important than that relationship, or so it seemed. So who was right? Who was wrong? One commentator, I. Howard Marshall, put it this way. It's a classic example of the perpetual problem of whether to place the interests of the individual or the work as a whole first. What do you do? The, the, the person or the task? Now, interestingly, Luke seems to side possibly uh, with Paul. Verse 40, Luke writes that Paul chose Silas, they left. And then he adds, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. They were commissioned by the church in Antioch to continue that work. And it doesn't say anything about Barnabas and Mark being commissioned or committed to the Lord. Uh, they just disappeared. In fact, Barnabas is kind of, you don't hear of him anymore. Um, I, I don't know. It, it, was, it had to be sad to see the team break up. Because boy, were they a team, Barnabas and Paul. Now, the, the good thing is that a few years later, we read it in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, but a few years later, that got all together. Um, Paul and Barnabas must have somehow gotten together again because Paul uh, writes in 1 Corinthians a number of years later that uh, Barnabas is a worthy servant and um, is worthy of being uh, financially remunerated for his, uh, his service to the Lord. So he refers to Barnabas there. And in the very last letter that Paul writes, 2 Timothy, he says this about, uh, about Mark. He says, um, pick up Mark, bring him with you, for he is useful to me for service. He's useful to me for service. Something had changed with Mark, and Paul recognized that, and he says, this guy, man, he is spot on. He is useful to me for service. And I don't doubt that 
Barnabas' support, Barnabas' willingness to take Mark with him, to disciple him, to encourage him in his walk, yep, he, he failed. But it didn't deter Barnabas to build an, uh, into his life and change. And it was probably because of the role of Barnabas that Paul was able to say at the end of his ministry, hey, this guy is very useful to me for service. We could maybe say, maybe there's two or a positive thing that, that took place because of this separation, this rift, this breach that took place between Paul and Barnabas. You could maybe say the positive thing was instead of one team, there's now two teams. There's Barnabas and Mark, and they go do their thing, and there's Paul and Silas, and they go do their thing. And again, we read from uh, verse 41 that they were traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Uh, there were some positive things that took place. Well, that's the first paragraph. Let's keep reading in chapter 16, verse 1. And it says this, And Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, here's an interesting uh, development. So as they're going back to the churches that they had, uh, that Paul had uh, helped establish, he goes back, it says, to Derby and to Lystra, and there's Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. My guess would be that on their first missionary journey, uh, Timothy's mother, her name was Eunice, had uh, trusted Christ as her Savior. She was one of the converts, and her son, Timothy. And now they're coming back, and they're seeing how things are going in these churches. And here's this young man, Timothy, and man, he is a shining star. He's well-spoken of by people. He is, um, he's just a, a fine young man and a follower of Christ. The, the, the weird thing about Timothy is his mom was Jewish and his dad was a Gentile, was a Greek. And it's like, how did that happen? How did a good Jewish woman marry this Gentile Greek? And we have no idea. I don't know the background of this. We're not given that. Uh, it was, by Jewish law, it was illegal to, to be married to a Gentile. But it happened, and the fruit of this is, is Timothy. And um, he's called in, um, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, in chapter 1, verse 1, he's called my true child in the faith. In, chapter, in his second letter that he writes, he's called my beloved son. So Paul clearly had this endearing relationship with Timothy, led him to the Lord, did something. But my goodness, a Jewish mom and a dad who was obviously not a believer and a Gentile. So he wants to take Timothy with him. And in order to do that, it says that he has Timothy circumcised because his mother was Jewish and he wanted to give no offense to the Jewish people that they were going to connect with in their evangelistic work. See, wherever Paul went, he would stop in a city and go to the synagogue first. He would start with the Jewish population that was there and then go on into the Gentile population. And when people knew that he had a Greek father, Timothy had a, was, had a Greek father, uh, it would cause problems. So to avoid the problem, he just had Timothy come under the Jewish rite of circumcision. And we might say, that a little uh, hypocritical because they had just come from Jerusalem and hammered out this whole issue of do you have to be circumcised to be a Christian? Do you have to follow Jewish laws? No, 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 absolutely not. And now he takes Timothy and has him circumcised. Why? Well, we'll see in just a moment. Um, Paul was very mindful of his audience when it came to evangelism. Well, let's continue. It says in verse 4, and now... While they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So they were doing what the church in Jerusalem had called them to do. They had written that letter, if you remember last week, and now they're bringing that letter to the churches. And verse 5 says, so the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. There's another one of Luke's progress reports. All throughout the book of Acts, 
he gives these little updates, these progress reports. So for instance, we've seen in chapter 2, verse 47, Luke added, the Lord is adding to their number day by day, those who are being saved. All right, there's a little progress report. Or chapter 6, verse 7, and every day in the temple from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. Or chapter 9, verse 31, so the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it continued to increase. A little progress report. Or chapter 12, verse 24, the word of the Lord continued to grow and to be multiplied. So throughout this historical account that Luke is writing, he wants to remind us, and he puts these in, drops these little progress reports in, he wants to remind us of the triumph of the gospel. That's kind of the theme of the book of Acts. Jesus said, go into the world, be, make disciples of mine, be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the world. And so the story of the book of Acts is the historical account of this transition out of the Old Testament Jewish era, of the, the, the Old Covenant, the Old Testament, into this New Testament era, of the, the church age, and how the progress of the gospel, how um, the impact of the, the message of Jesus Christ was taking place. And here's another progress report in verse 5 of chapter 16. The churches were being strengthened in faith, and they were increasing in number daily. The church had weathered the conflict. The conflict of how do we get to heaven? They handled that at the Jerusalem council. They weathered the conflict of this rift between Paul and Barnabas and the team breaks up. The church is surviving, it's growing, it's thriving. In spite of our own uh, humanness and in spite of our uh, sinfulness at times, uh, God's purposes continue. He is sovereign and he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So, here's two paragraphs we've looked at this morning real briefly. What does it hold for us? What, what can we say about these things? Let me share with you some, just some principles. I think there's some key principles or applications that we can uh, uh, glean from these passages. Here's the first one. While conflicts are inevitable, they don't have to be destructive. God can use conflicts for his glory. Clearly, there was a conflict between Paul and Barnabas. There was a sharp disagreement, so much so that they split. Um, that was no small matter. Yet God was sovereign in all that. And the church continued to grow and strengthen, and he even used that conflict for his purposes and glory. Conflicts are going to be inevitable because people are people. And again, I, I'm not passing judgment on Barnabas or Paul. I'm not sure. Um, it, it probably depends on our personality. Some might be more merciful, and, uh, and you may tend to think Barnabas was in the right. And some of us might be a little more task-oriented, and we thought, you know, you know he, Paul had every right to do that. I don't know, but it was a conflict. Uh, there was a disagreement. We may not agree on everything, but it doesn't mean we have to be disagreeable to one another. Conflicts are inevitable, but they don't have to be destructive. And the only reason why conflicts can be destructive in relational conflicts is when our selfish desires step in. And we saw this a few weeks ago. Um, it was a Mother's Day sermon, if you want to go back there and look at that. But I, I mentioned James chapter 4, verse 1, where James says, what is the source of conflicts among you? Is it not that, that fleshly desire, those desires within you that wage war? I want what I want. And was not that what Barnabas was saying? I want Mark. And Paul was saying, I don't want Mark. Now, again, I don't know if there was a, a sinful thing that was going on there or not. It was just a, a difference of opinion. They disagreed, and they disagreed sharply. But it wasn't destructive. The work continued, and God used it. It's when my selfish desires get in there, and now I start calling you want Mark with you? What are you, some idiot? <laughs> you know, Paul, 
You, you're just task or You don't care one bit for people. You're, you're just a task guy. And then all of a sudden we start doing that kind of stuff and sin takes over. And now it becomes a personal issue. Um, you know, I'm sure there's not a person in this room that hasn't had a conflict with somebody. Could be with a spouse. Could be with children. And teenagers. A co-worker. Uh, it could be within the body of Christ itself where we sincerely and honestly have a disagreement about how we're going to proceed, how we're going to raise those kids or how we're going to discipline that teenager or how we're going to move forward in, uh, in this venture of the church or whatever it might be. Um, we don't have to back away and be fearful of disagreements. Um, we have to guard our hearts, though, because when that fleshly desire, when what I want supersedes my love for you, now all of a sudden it's a door of opportunity for Satan to come in and it can be very, very destructive. Conflicts don't have to be destructive. They can be constructive. God can use it, and I think he did in this situation. Uh, again, we may not agree on everything, uh, but we don't have to be disagreeable. I can remember, this was uh, years ago, uh, we had a family in this church who, uh, lovely, lovely family, lovely couple, um, but he strongly believed in paedo-baptism, uh, infant baptism. And it was, wasn't just a, a thought, it was a conviction. He came and met with the elders because in order to be a member here at Fellowship Bible Church, we ask you to, have, if you haven't ever been baptized as a believer, we ask you to go through baptism. And there's no way he was going to do that because he had a conviction that the only baptism that was important was infant baptism. And it was a conviction. It was a really good conversation. I mean, it was a, 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 a very um, amenable uh, discussion that we had, but he walked away absolutely convinced that he could not be a member of this church because of infant baptism, and they ended up leaving the church. And it was fine, it was okay. Because it was agreeably, we disagreed. And uh, we'd see him in the community and, you know, give each other a hug. And he was, they're believers in Jesus Christ. Um, it's okay uh, to, to, to do that. Um, I think God used that in our relationship to not look down on people who think differently than us. Well, enough said about that. Conflicts are inevitable, but they don't have to be destructive. Here's the second one. We are all in process. We all need a Barnabas as well as a Paul in our life. We're all in process. Um, you know, we're, we all need encouragement from time to time. We all need someone to show us some grace and mercy. We all mess up and fail. Uh, what was it that Dr. Dobson would say when it comes to raising kids? You need, for every one, you jerk. That child needs 10 attaboys. <laughs> well, we grown-up children need that too. We, we need encouragement. Yes, we're going to fail. We're going to disappoint people. We're going to do something. But we need encouragers into our life. And we all need a Paul. We all need someone to speak truth into us, point that out, who's willing to say the hard things to us and not back down, but to say it with love. Satan is called in Revelation 12 the great accuser of the brethren. I mean, you mess up, and it's like he perches on your shoulder and he whispers in your ear, you lousy, good-for-nothing Christian. You call yourself a Christian? You failed again. You messed up. Or it can be even after you become a Christian, he will perch on your shoulder and whisper in your ear all your past failures, how unworthy you are. That's the role of the evil one. Accuse, accuse, shame, shame, guilt, guilt. And boy, do we need a Barnabas in our life to tell us who we really are in Christ. To tell us that we are complete in Jesus. To tell us that our sins have been forgiven. To tell us that there's a God in heaven if we are that who is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins as we confess him to him 
and he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh, we need Barnabases in our life. But we also need that Paul, equally important, someone who will lovingly instruct us, correct us when that, um, when that time comes. The book of Proverbs is, is full of these types of corrections. Proverbs 10, 17, he is on the path of life who heeds instruction, but he who ignores reproof goes astray. Or Proverbs 19, 20, listen to counsel and accept discipline that you may be wise the rest of your days. Or Proverbs 27, better is open rebuke than love that is concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. You know, the fact of the matter is we all have blind spots, right? I mean, we, we, we all have those blind spots in our life. And God help us, if we don't listen to the Pauls in our life that are saying, hey, Mark, um, I've noticed there's some of these issues. Can we talk about it? I, I've noticed these things kind of rise up in your life. We need that. And we... God forbid that we argue or we defend ourselves. Just keep your mouth shut and open your two ears and listen. And, and let the Holy Spirit convict you. Let people be used by God to speak that truth into our life. It might be, if you're married, it might be your spouse. Um, and spouses, whether you're the man or the woman, you've got to wear both hats. You've got to be the Barnabas and, and you've got to give the you know, out of boys or the out of girls. And there are times you have to wear the hat of Paul and speak the truth in love. Parents, we need that to do that for our children, even our grandchildren. That's a whole nother matter. It's a little dicier to figure out how to do that with grandkids. But you want to encourage, but you also want to speak truth. Friends, you're in a community group and you see something that takes place. For Pete's sake, don't sweep it under the carpet. Go and pray about it, and then if the Holy Spirit is nudging you to go talk, that's what discipleship is about, right? I mean, we need each other. Uh, iron sharpening iron. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10 talks about how we need to figure out how we can um, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. And sometimes that shove, that stimulation is to say, hey, you, you know, you got to watch what you say. Or you, you, your attitude just kind of is sour. What's going on here? Um, uh, we, we, we need that because we're all in process. We all need a Barnabas. We all need a Paul in our life. Here's a third one. Developing the next generation of leaders ensures the future of the church. Developing the next generation of leaders ensures the future of the church. We always need to be looking for the next generation of leaders. We need to pass the deposit. This was what Paul wrote to, to, to Timothy. He said in 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's what happened to Timothy. Paul saw the potential in a Timothy. He took him along. That's what happened to Mark. Barnabas saw the potential in Mark, and he fought for him, and he took him along so that he developed and he became very useful, Paul said, at the end of his life. Um, we not only need a Barnabas in our life and a Paul in our life, we need a Timothy in our life, someone that we're encouraging, that we're building into. At any level, we need that. If you're a small group leader, who's going to take your place? If you are leading uh, uh, some ministry in, in, with the children, um, who's going to take your place? Who, who are you building into? Who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? Um, who's Who's that person that you're passing on the deposit of truth? And folks, you know, we don't have to be the wisest person on earth. I mean, we don't have to have a seminary degree. We don't have to, all we have to be is one step ahead of the hounds, right? Just what has God taught you? We'll pass it on to someone else. We, we, this is the engagement of body life. This is what we need to be doing with, with each other. Um, pouring into one another's. Uh, we, we do, we've, a number of years here, we've been doing a, um, an internship program. Now, that's a little more uh, detailed and a little more um, 
organized in terms of leadership development, an apprentice program. We, we take young people, and uh, for nine months uh, to a year, we uh, uh, structure some specific training uh, that will help um, develop them in their gifts and their skills as they con consider full-time Christian ministry. Uh, the last person we took through that was Emma Kate Collar. She's uh, on our staff with our youth ministry. And um, uh, we've taken a number of people. This fall, we have three um, men that we're doing that with. They're going to take 20, they're carving out 20 hours a week as we pour into them uh, in this internship and apprentice program. Now, that's just one form of it. But um, the things that you have learned from Jesus, who are you passing that on to? Your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, building that relationship. Where's the next generation of leaders coming from? I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, it's not going to come from seminaries and Bible colleges because there is a, um, th th there's not many people coming out of those institutions anymore like it was when I was young. And by the way, um, that's why we uh, have, we weathered the transitions of the past year or two when Morrison left and then Hartog left and and Spencer left, and McNutt went down to, why do we weather? Because we have poured into other people, raising up people from within, and, um, and, and building that into them. So developing the next generation of leaders. Barnabas did it with Mark. Paul did it with Timothy. The principles are there in Scripture. Here's a fourth one. Effective evangelism will involve creative methods without corrupting the message. It's interesting that after the battle at Jerusalem about how does one get to heaven, and some people were saying, you got to go through the Jewish rites and you know, circumcision and come under the law, and they said, no, no, absolutely not. That's what you, you don't have to do that. It's interesting that Paul takes Timothy, who wasn't circumcised, to, and circumcised him to come under the Jewish system. Why? It was a method for evangelism. They were going to be reaching Jewish people. And Paul knew that it would not go well for Timothy, who had a Jewish mom and a Greek dad, and not be circumcised. You see, the, in, in creative methods of evangelism uh, are important. You don't corrupt the message, but you can be very creative in the methods of evangelism. Which is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, For though I am free from all men... I have made myself a slave to all, so that I may win more. To the Jews I have become as a Jew, so that I might win Jews. To those who are under the law as under the law, though not being myself under the law, so that I might win those who are under the law. And to those who are without the law as without law, though not being without the law of God and under the law of Christ, so that I might win those who are without law. Paul's saying, I'm not going to compromise truth. But I'm going to go up to the edge of it in the sense of I'm going to be, he says, to the weak, I'll become weak. I become all things to all men so that by all means I might save some. I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I might become a fellow partaker of it. Um, where was Paul's concern? It was for the people that he was going to engage with, with the good news of Jesus. He was concerned about that. So he said, I'm going, to, I'm going to become all things to all men. I love the story of J. Hudson Taylor. He was the uh, 19th century uh, Englishman who became the missionary in China. If you've ever read anything about J. Hudson Taylor, he's got an autobiography called the Spiritual, uh, J. Hudson's Spiritual Secrets. I'm just rereading it again. But um, Hudson Taylor went from this European Englishman, went to China, and settled on the coast of China where all the other English, you know, European missionaries were in their European clothing, in their European houses, in their little European enclaves. And Hudson Taylor said, something's wrong with this picture. He went inland into China and he shaved his, the front of his hair like a Chinese person would do and grew a ponytail. He actually uh, dyed his hair black. He took off his European clothes, put on Chinese garb. He became Chinese, the language, everything. 
the habits, the, the food. He immersed himself in Chinese culture, and the, re, the impact was nothing short than miraculous. As tens of thousands of people came to Christ during that time in China, over 50 years, he started the China Inland Mission. He, were, he, was going to, he wrote later in his biography this, and why should such a foreign aspect be given to Christianity? Meaning, why do we insist on looking European when we're ministering in China? Why should such a foreign aspect be given to Christianity? Word of God doesn't require it, nor I can see good, uh, would sound reason justify it. It is not the denationalization of people, but the Christianization of people that we seek. We wish to see Chinese Christians raised up Men and women who are truly Christian, but withal truly Chinese in every sense of the word. We wish to see churches of such believers presided over by pastors and officers of their own countrymen, worshiping God in the land of their fathers, in their own tongue, in edifices that are thoroughly native of style and architecture. Let us in everything, not sinful, become Chinese, that we may by all means save some. Comes right out of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We have recently finished our building bridges uh, focus here uh, with that kind of that emphasis of who, who might God be encouraging us, who, a, a, a family member, a co-worker, a fellow student, or who, who might God be encouraging us to build a bridge to? And, you know, if <laughs> we just have to be careful how we come across. You know, th this world is sick and tired of self-righteous religious Christians. Rightly so. Um, we, we, we need to engage people with love and grace. Find that common ground. Um, wh where, where, does God, where does God want us to build that bridge to? I think I've shared before, when, when I got out of seminary and Lisa and I moved up to a little rural church in Nebraska, a town of 500 people, little rural farming community in Nebraska, um, we, we immersed ourselves in it. Now, I grew up, I'm a farm boy from Nebraska. I grew up in a town of 500 people, so it was easier for me to identify. But you know, we, joined, we joined the bowling league just on Saturday nights to go bowling with people from the community. And as they're slamming down their Budweiser's or their Miller Lights or their Paps Blue Ribbon, you know, I didn't do that. Uh, not that it would have been wrong, no problem, but um, you just identify with people. You just go do that. We played softball. We, we engaged in the community. Um, when there were community events, we just would show up at community picnics. And there was a time when um, uh, they needed a spokesman that this town was going to lose their school because of consolidation. And in a small rural town in Nebraska, you lose your school, you lose your identity. And so they loaded up a bus of people, went down to Lincoln, Nebraska, the, the capital of Nebraska, and got an audience with the state school board to plead their case not to shut the school. And who do you think they asked to be the spokesman for town? 20? Lisa, right. <laughs> I see a conflict coming right now. <laughs> was that a Barnabas comment, Gavin, or was that a... Sorry for you down at F3, but we, yeah, we have wise people here in this com congregation. <laughs> so, I mean, I went down and spoke for the town. I wasn't the speaker to do that. We, we won the case. They listened to us. We kept our school. Guess who was the hero in that little town for a while? This little 27-year-old pastor. Why? Because we engaged. We didn't isolate ourselves. If you're part of a, say, an HOA, participate in it. Get involved in, in, in the community and be praying about how you can participate. And then be patient and long-suffering. When that neighbor has a dog who comes over and does stuff on your yard and you've got to battle the yellow spots all over the yard, look, what's more important, someone's soul or the yellow spots in your yard? Right? I mean, there, there are only two people in the world. I'm running out of time here. There are only two people in the world. There are people who are going to heaven and there's people who are going to hell. That's it. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. It, it is not universalism. All roads do not lead to heaven. 
There is one way. And if people do not put their trust in Christ, he paid for their sins. He came to this earth. He died. He took our sins upon himself. He died in our place. That's what Jesus did. And then he rose again. So he could offer a free gift of eternal life to people. And every day we are engaging with people who are either gone to heaven or they're on their way to hell. So what does it matter if there's yellow spots on your backyard? People are either going to go to heaven or they're going to go to hell. And we got to get creative without compromising and corrupting the message. You've got a homosexual couple living across the street from you. What do you do? Isolate. Oh, we don't want to get contaminated by them. Good night. They need to know Jesus. You've got a, a, a boss that you work with who's cantankerous. Let's just, you know, let's badmouth them at the water fountain or whatever, whatever it is. No, you pray for him. And you figure out how you can build a bridge into his life or her life. Um, is that not what Jesus did for us? Is that not the greatest example? Where he came into our world. He wrapped himself up in our culture, our humanity. He built the bridge to us. And he's calling us to build the bridges to others. Well, real quickly, one more. This one makes sense. Last kind of principle. When you serve the Lord, do it with a team of like-minded disciples. Do it with a team. Get involved in the life of the church. Uh, be a part of the children's ministry team or the youth team or get involved in a community group where there's a team of people that are studying the word together and growing in faith. Don't be an isolated um, a Christian, uh, a, an alone Christian, the Lone Ranger Christian. Don't be that ember of the fire that pops out because it'll soon grow cold. Be a part of a team. I appreciate our, our missions team. Whenever we go someplace around the world, don't do it alone. We always have several people going. Do it as a team. FBC is full of teams. In fact, uh, this summer we got a bunch of teams that are going, like our, um, this week, uh, about 60 people are heading to North Dakota. North Dakota, what's in North Dakota? Well, it's a family camp that we've been invited to lead. Uh, nine different uh, Native American uh, uh, tribal groups are coming together and sending people to this camp in western North Dakota. And we've got a whole bunch of people, kids and youth and families that are going there, leaving the end of this week to do a family camp in western North Dakota. They're going to do it as a team. And they're going to have fun doing it but they're going to minister to people who desperately need to know Jesus. You realize that 95% of children growing up on an Indian reservation, Native American reservation today, are abused, sexually abused. You see a little a kid who's growing up on a reservation, you can conclude, absolutely conclude, they're being abused. They need Jesus. So we've got a team going there. Later in July, we've got a team that's going to... Um, uh, Vinyl Haven, Maine, a little island off Maine. We've developed a relationship with the church off that little island, the coast of Maine. And um, Mark and Erica Francis there to the left, and, and the Sant Myers in the middle, and John and Susan Avery there to the right are going to up uh, and minister to the folks in Vinyl Haven. They're going to do it as a team. And then we have a youth team with adult uh, sponsorships going to uh, Zambia later in, uh, in July. So um, some great opportunities and fun things that are going to be done in a team. You know who said once, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts? I, di I didn't know this. I've heard that, of course, the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. You know who first said that? Aristotle. Didn't know that. Now, he didn't spell team, T-E-A-M. Together, everyone achieves more. But when you do something together, my, my. Does God work in your life and work in other people's lives? And yes, there might be conflict, but it doesn't have to be destructive. God can use it. And yes, there might be a Barnabas that'll come into your life and encourage you when you need that encouragement. There might be a Paul that'll speak truth into you. 
but there's nothing like rubbing shoulders with one another and being in community. And yes, you might even see some unbelievers and be a part of having an opportunity to build a bridge and find that common ground and share the love of Christ. But you'll be doing it together. That's body life. And the church of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts thrived. Let's pray. And Father, thank you for your word and for the example of the early church. And thank you, Father, for what you're doing in our midst. I pray for these, these teams. I pray for the, the North Dakota team that will be leaving this week. Give them safety as they travel, but give them joy in, in serving you and loving on those people and help them to um, think of them first and not their own comforts because it's, it, it's, um, it's not going to be the easiest thing in this camp. Um, help build relationships and that would be um, life-altering for these families uh, on these uh, reservations that are going to be coming to this camp. For the Vinyl Haven um, couples that will be leaving there, again, safety and travel, but um, th they're coming with certain specific um, um, goals in mind that, um, and, and gifts that they're going to um, um, input into this church and Vinyl Haven, and the Lord just use it for your glory. And of course, for our Zambia team, that's a long ways uh, over there to Africa, safety and travel, um, health, all those things. But Father, I know you're going to use it in the life of our teens. It'll be life-changing for them, but may they also help change lives of others. Thank you, Father, for, um, again, your word. And wherever you want to speak to us as we close now, as we um, head home or even sometime during the week, Bring to our remembrance, speak to our hearts, Father, what is it that you want us to learn, to grow, to be a, a Barnabas in, to be a Paul in maybe? Who is our Timothy? Help us, Father, to listen to you so that we just don't leave here and be unchanged. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.